beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, last week in the morning service, when we consider the teaching of Ephesians 1 in connection with Lord's Day 21, we looked at the incredible blessing of belonging to Christ's church. We saw that belonging to Christ's church is an incredible, gracious gift from God. And it's an incredible privilege that unites us with all believers to Christ and all His riches and gifts. And it comes with an incredible forgiveness. God's complete and everlasting forgiveness of sin. And that alone, beloved, shows us what an incredible blessing it is to belong to to Christ's church as a living member. But maybe, maybe you were thinking, as wonderful as those things are, don't we have to confess that Christians still experience many difficulties in life? Belonging to Christ's church doesn't mean life is suddenly easy. No, we still, others sin against us still. And then we ourselves, we struggle every day with sin and unbelief. What's more, we suffer from the consequences of sin, don't we? We sweat to put food on the table. We, we fight to stay healthy, and, and, and even that fight we lose how many times? We get sick. Our bodies break down as we get older. Friends and loved ones get sick, or something else happens and, and they die. One day, unless Christ returns first, all of us, will die. That's reality, and, and that reality can leave us wondering if, if belonging to, to Christ's church is, is really all that important, all that necessary, all that great. I mean, you know, we're living, we're at a time of the year when the seasons change and summers end it. And for many of us, maybe we, we thought, Something along the lines, well, all good things have to come to an end. Or we wish it didn't have to end. We wish the summer weather would just go on forever. We wouldn't have to have this cold and winter that's coming. But all good things come to an end. And, and, and maybe, maybe that's how we, we tend to look at the incredible blessing of belonging to Christ's church. If, I mean, what's the point? What's the point if I'm still going to suffer and die anyway? Maybe that's you this afternoon. Maybe you're wondering, what's the point of me becoming a Christian if I'm just going to end up six feet under anyway? Or, or, or maybe you are a Christian, but the harsh realities of life, the struggle, the suffering, the, 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 the death have made you discouraged. Maybe even now, today, maybe you're in a time of life where you're in a deep valley. You're in, a, you're in a, as it were, a time of darkness, a time of, of nighttime. And the difficulties you're facing, or the doubts you're struggling with, or the temptations you're being assaulted with, or the pain you're experiencing, or the death that you know you can't escape. It's coming closer and closer and closer. All of that maybe has made you wonder, or maybe is making you wonder even now, what's the point of continuing as a Christian, continuing to believe in Jesus Christ, continuing to belong to Christ's church? you see, beloved, God's word reminds us that for all those who belong to Christ's church as living members, by faith being united to Christ, there is, yes, 
in a certain sense, something will come to an end, but it won't be the good. It will be all the, all, all the bad that's still left, all the struggle. There'll be, there, there's a hope beyond this life. There's a future that awaits Christ, church, and what a wonderful, what a glorious, what a blessed future it is. The account in John 11 of Christ raising Lazarus from the dead gives us a picture, just a small picture of it. But this passage, beloved, not only gives us a picture of it, it speaks of that future directly. In Martha's conversation with Christ in John 11, verses 23 to 27. And here, let me just read again verses 25 and 26. And Jesus says here to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, Though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. What is Christ doing here, congregation? What is he speaking of? He's speaking of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, the truths that are also confessed and explained for us in Lord's Day 22 on the basis of Scripture. That's what Christ is speaking of. He sees Martha she comes to him and, and, and grieving because of her brother's death. And, he, and he, he seeks to encourage her by pointing her to the hope, by reminding her of the future that awaits all who believe in Jesus Christ. And then in order to assure her, and in order to assure us of the truth of his words, what does he do? He goes and he raises Lazarus from the dead right there and then. And so with God's help, we hope to consider these verses in John 11, together with other passages, under the theme, the blessed future that awaits Christ's church. We'll see first that it's a future involving a glorious resurrection. And secondly, it's a future consisting of everlasting life. And thirdly, it's a future guaranteed in Jesus Christ. So the blessed future that awaits Christ's church. It's first of all a future involving a glorious resurrection. Martha herself confesses that in our text, doesn't she? We're told in verse 20 that as soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, and she's, she, she's grieving over the death of her dear brother Lazarus. And you can almost, if you enter into it almost, you can hear the, the anguish, the mixture of anguish and hope. As she meets Jesus and she says, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. You, you hear the mixture there. She's staggering. She's staggering under the blow of losing her brother. And yet she's hoping that somehow Jesus will still make everything right. Is her faith perfect? No. Is unbelief mixed in? Yes. But she still has hope. She still has faith, however weak it is in Christ. And how does Jesus respond? He doesn't rebuke her, does she? He doesn't rebuke her. No, instead he says to her, Thy brother shall rise again. What is Jesus doing here? He's not explicitly promising Martha that he's going to raise Lazarus that day. He will do that. But that's not what he says. All he says is, thy brother shall rise again. What Jesus is doing here, congregation, 
is, is he's, he's gently drawing out Martha's faith in order to strengthen it. He reminds Martha of the future that awaits Lazarus as one of his dear people. Thy brother shall rise again. And those words, they, they elicit a response of Martha, a response of faith in verse 24. I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So he draws out her faith, and then what does he do? He confirms it, doesn't he? He confirms it with these beautiful words in verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. But Martha confesses. And what Christ confirms in very plain language is this. The future that awaits Christ's church is a future involving a glorious resurrection. At the last day when Christ returns, the bodies of all believers who have died will be raised and reunited with their souls. That's what this passage is speaking about. That's what those words are speaking about. He that believes in me, Jesus said, though he were dead... Or you could translate, though, even if he dies, yet shall he live. He's speaking here about the bodily resurrection of believers. The whole context makes that clear. He's not speaking about how the souls of believers go to heaven when they die. They do, of course. Christ said to the repentant thief on the cross, didn't he? Today you shall be with me in paradise. And that's why Paul confessed in Philippians 1 that for him to die is gain because at death the believer's soul goes to be with Christ. But that's not what Jesus is speaking about here. No, the whole context of our text has to do with physical death and resurrection. And so what Jesus is saying is even though believers in him, they die, even if they die, just like the rest of the world, they will live again. He's confirming Martha's confession that Lazarus will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And he's saying that will be true of everyone. Everyone who believes in him. And so the believer confesses in the words of the catechism that not only my soul after this life shall be immediately taken up to Christ its head, but also that this my body being raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul. At the last day when Christ returns, the bodies of all believers who have died will be raised and reunited with their souls. Isn't that astounding? I mean, it rolls off our tongue every Lord's Day. We hear it every Lord's Day. But do you just think of how astounding that is? How astounding that will be? What a promise. What a future. Yes, dear believers, we suffer now. We suffer pain. We are dying. And one day we will die. We will all die unless Christ returns first. But death is not the end. Yes, death can seem so final. But it will not have the last word. Though we die, yet we shall live. Don't don't you just love how, how Jesus puts it so plainly, so simply. Death is simply no match for him. It's no match for him. Matthew Henry puts it this way. He says this. And just let us try and let this sink in. All the difficulties that attend the state of the dead are here, in these words of Christ, overlooked and made nothing of. 
Though the sentence of death was just, though the effects of death be dismal, though the bands of death be strong, though we be dead and buried, dead and rotted, though the scattered dust be so mixed with the common dust that no art of man can distinguish, much less separate them, put the case as strongly as you will on that side, yet we are sure that we shall live again. Why? Because he who believes in me, says Jesus, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Maybe, maybe here you say, well, doesn't, God, doesn't God's word teach that not just believers, but all people shall be raised? Yes, that's true. Jesus said in John 5, verses 28 and 29, the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. All people will be raised, he says. So, so the question is, how is believers being raised a blessing for them? Well, listen to what he says next in those verses, John 5. All shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation or condemnation. So yes, all the, believer, or all the dead will be raised, including the wicked, including unbelievers. The bodies of unbelievers will be raised, but they will not be raised unto life. They will be raised unto condemnation. It says in Revelation that they will be raised and then they will be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death, the place of everlasting torment. What a dreadful future. What a dreadful future. If you are here this afternoon and you are unconverted, you realize that? If you, if you die unconverted, what a dreadful future you will face. But if you are a believer, belonging to Christ's church, what a blessed future awaits you. You see, your body will not just be raised and reunited with your soul, it will be raised a glorious body. In the words of the Catechism, it will be made like unto the glorious body of Christ. And that's almost an exact quote of Philippians 3 verse 21. Paul says there that the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, at his return, shall change our vile or our lowly body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things to himself. It will be raised a glorious body. And other passages say the same thing as well. Our, Our bodies will be incorruptible. They will be glorious. They will be powerful. They will be completely subject to the Holy Spirit and not to sin anymore. They'll be perfect We will bear the image of Jesus Christ. When he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Oh, what a blessed future. What a blessed future for all who belong to Christ's church. It's a future involving a glorious resurrection. Are you here this afternoon, perhaps, as a dear Martha? Are you grieving the loss of a loved one in Christ? maybe recently or maybe long ago, wondering why he didn't answer your prayers to heal them? Are you looking desperately for some comfort in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the loneliness? Are you anxious, perhaps, because you have a loved one, a friend in Christ who is suffering from a sickness that may end in their death? 
Oh, let the words of Christ sink deep into your wounded heart. Your brother, your sister, your loved one shall rise again. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Are you here this afternoon struggling to hold on to Christ through a difficult trial you're going through? Struggling to hold on to your hope? Are the floods of doubt and temptation threatening to overwhelm you? Is the approach of death making you anxious and afraid? Are you struggling in the light of all the suffering and death that you see, that you experience? Are you struggling to see the point in continuing to be a Christian, in continuing to trust and obey the Lord? Hear the words of Christ. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. The blessed future that awaits Christ's church congregation is a future involving a glorious resurrection. Oh, let it be an encouragement to you, dear fellow Christians, to persevere in looking to Christ, in trusting and following Christ. You know, maybe you're, you're here and you're, you're young and you're healthy. And I understand when you're young and you're healthy, death seems so far off and you don't feel anxious so much about death. But you know, perhaps one day you will become sick with a sickness that could end in your death. Oh, then in the midst of your sorrow, in the midst of your grief, in the midst of your perplexity, in the midst of your heartache, in the midst of your anxiety, remember these words of Christ. Let them be your pillow. You will rise again. Death will not be the end of you. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Let that strengthen you. Let that comfort you. But if you are here as an unbeliever, let these words of Christ be a call, an invitation to come to Christ, to repent of sin, to believe in him for all your salvation. You will not be put to shame. You too will rise again in glory. But maybe you, maybe you say, is that all? I mean, sure, having our bodies raised and reunited with our souls, made like unto the glorious body of Christ, that's all wonderful, that's all great, but, 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 don't, but won't we just die again? Who wants that? Well, that brings us to our second point. The blessed future that awaits Christ's church is not only a future involving a glorious resurrection, it's also a future consisting of everlasting life. That's what Jesus speaks about in the first part of verse 26. John 11, verse 26. He has just said that he who believes in Christ, though he were dead, even if he dies, yet shall he live. His body shall be raised to life. But now listen to what else Jesus says. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And, and the Lord uses very strong language here in the original to make his point. You could really translate it this way. Whosoever lives and believes in me shall never, ever die, ever. That, that tells us, beloved, that the future that awaits Christ's church is a future consisting of everlasting, of unending life. And what will this everlasting life, what will this unending life be like? Well, for one thing, it will mean unending enjoyment 
unending enjoyment of perfect salvation. It will not just be like your life today, only going on forever. That would hardly be a blessing. No, this everlasting life will be far, far different. It will be far, far better. There will be life in the fullest sense of the word. What does that mean? What does it mean to to live in the fullest sense of that word? Well, if you have your Bibles open, turn with me a a few chapters past John 11 to John 17. John 17. And look at verse 3 with me. Jesus here is praying to his Father, what we sometimes call the high priestly prayer. And, And he says these words, And this is life eternal, that they, speaking of his church, speaking of all those whom the Father had given him, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That's what the, li- what the life everlasting is, congregation. It's the true knowledge, it's the knowledge of, of God and of Jesus Christ. Or to put it another way, it's the joy of unhindered and unbroken fellowship with God in and through His Son, Jesus Christ. That is the future that awaits Christ's church. Maybe it, it'll help children, young people, to think about it this way. Think of the times that you enjoy life at home the most. Isn't, isn't it when your relationships with others at home are good? Isn't it when you are happy to be with each other and, and, and enjoying each other? But, but when something comes between you and your siblings or, or between you and your parents, maybe because of something you did or maybe something they did, whatever it is, when there's a rift and there's a tension between you, then life at home, it isn't that great, is it? You dread going home. Your relationship, your, your fellowship with each other is, is hindered. Life becomes difficult. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And you see, it's the same way between us and God. By nature, we don't have any fellowship with God. We're at enmity with Him. In a very real sense, left to ourselves, we have no life. We are dead. Physically, yes, we have life in a certain sense, but spiritually we're dead. It's only when we're born again by the Holy Spirit and and united to Christ by faith in Him that, that we are reconciled to God. And then we begin to truly live. Then we are brought into fellowship with God through Christ. Then we feel, then we experience in our hearts the beginning of eternal joy, of eternal life. Have you experienced that? The beginning, oh, how wonderful it is, but at the same time, it's only a beginning, isn't it? And so often, so often we hinder our joy. So often we hinder our fellowship with God because of our sins, because of our corruption. So often life is not the way it's meant to be. And we can, we can become exhausted at times, and we can wonder, is it ever going to change? Is it ever going to get better? Well, this is the blessed hope and the longing. It is going to get better. This is what we groan for, the life everlasting. Because the great comfort of that life is, as the Christian confesses in answer 58, that since I now feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, after this life I shall inherit perfect salvation. Perfect salvation. Just just think about that. And there will be a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. 
how much unrighteousness dwells in this creation, in this heaven, in this earth. How much unrighteousness. But then there will be a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And then as it says in Revelation 21, God himself shall be with us. And he shall dwell with us. And he will wipe away all tears from our eyes. And there shall be no more death. There shall be no more sorrow. There shall be no more crying, nor pain. For the former things will have passed away. Then as it says in Revelation 22, there will be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb, speaking of Jesus, shall be there. And we shall serve him. And we shall see his face. Yes, then we will have unbroken, unhindered fellowship with God and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Then we will really live. Oh, we cannot even imagine. We cannot even imagine what that perfect salvation will be like. And that's why the Catechism speaks of it in terms of 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. It will be a salvation that eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man to conceive. The life everlasting will be a life of unending enjoyment of perfect salvation. Whoever lives and believes in Christ shall never die. Oh, what a future we have to look forward to, dear believer. How this should give us such hope in the midst of grief for our brothers and sisters who have died in the Lord and how how this should give us such joy and such confidence even in the face of our own death one day. Not only will our souls go to be with Christ when we die, not only will our bodies be raised from the dead and reunited with our souls when he returns and made like unto the glorious body of Christ, but we also will inherit body and soul a perfect salvation, a salvation, a fellowship with God through Christ that we will enjoy forever and ever and ever. 1 Peter 1 verse 4 calls it an inheritance, incorruptible. You know, you get inheritances today. You can have an inheritance today, but it, how quickly it disappears, how quickly it can corrupt, be corrupted. Our treasures on earth, moth and rust corrupt. Thieves break in and steal. But the inheritance of believers is an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith, unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's what all who belong to Christ's church will inherit. Oh, then, brothers and sisters, let us stand firm. Let us stand firm in our faith and hold fast to Christ and to his gospel. For whoever lives and believes in Christ shall never die. We will live. We will really live. It will be a life of unending enjoyment, of perfect salvation, of fellowship with God. And it will be a life in which we will praise God forever. Isn't that what we desire most? Isn't that what we desire most? To praise our glorious God forever and ever. Don't you sometimes have it? Maybe at the end of a church service or maybe you're working in the field and you've been listening to a sermon or you've been singing the songs of Zion. Don't you ever, don't you ever have it? 
that, that, you, that you wish sometimes you could just go on and on and on praising our great God for who he is and for all the great things he has done. But it has to come to an end. We have work to do, responsibilities to carry out, and they're all good. They're all important. But you long to praise God forever and ever. And yes, that is the blessed future that we have to look forward to, a future of endless praise to God, not only through our song, but also through our service to him. We'll sing and we'll serve. In the words of Psalm 115, we'll bless the Lord. We will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. The silent dead praise not the Lord. The grave no song can raise. But we will bless the Lord forever and ever. What a future. What a future. But maybe you, you still think sometimes as you struggle through life, how do I know? How do I know that will really happen? I mean, it seems impossible. Resurrection from the dead? Life everlasting? All I see is death. All I see are graves and cemeteries. It seems impossible. It seems too good to be true. Well, that brings us to our third point. The blessed future that awaits Christ's church is not only a future involving a glorious resurrection and consisting of everlasting life. It's a future guaranteed in Jesus Christ. And here we come back to Christ's first words to Martha in verse 25. After she said to him, I know that he, I know that my brother Lazarus shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said these glorious words, I am the resurrection and the life. And then what does he do, children? What does Jesus go on to do in this chapter? He goes on to prove it, doesn't he? He goes on to confirm it. He actually raises Lazarus from the dead right then and there as a picture. It's a small picture. But in him, when you're united to him by faith, this future is yours for sure. It's telling us this, that the blessed future that awaits Christ's church is guaranteed in Jesus Christ. I am the resurrection and the life, he says to Martha. What does that tell us? It tells us who he is. You see, congregation, there's only one who could ever say that about himself. God, you could not say that about yourself. I could not say that about myself. Every one of us, every single other human being who has lived is powerless in the face of death, but not Jesus. Yes, he did die, but not because death had power over him. He died because he willingly chose to lay down his life. As he says in John 10, No man takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. You see, congregation, Jesus is not like you and me. He is fully man, yes, but he is also God. And that's why he can say of himself, I am the resurrection and the life. He is God. He is almighty. And so it's by him, it's by his power that he raises the bodies of believers and glorifies them to be like himself at, the, at his return. He is almighty. In him is life. That is how we have everlasting life. It's in him because death has no power over him. 
And when we believe in Him, when we put our trust in Him for our salvation, when we are united to Him by faith, then our future, then our future, then we can know that we will have, we, our bodies will be raised and they will be glorified, they will be made like His. And they will, we will have everlasting life forever and ever. Because He is the resurrection and the life. He is the source of it all. But Jesus didn't just say that. He proved it, didn't he? He proved it. When he came to the grave of Lazarus and told them to take away the stone. Just imagine, try to imagine the scene for a moment. What a touching scene. After Martha goes back to the house and tells Mary that, that Jesus is calling for her, then Mary comes to Jesus. And, and when Jesus sees her and the Jews who came with her weeping, we're told that he groaned in his spirit and, 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 and he was troubled. And he, he asks where they've laid Lazarus' body and they invite him to come and see. And then you have these amazing words, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He who is the resurrection and the life wept. He cried, children. Jesus cried. Do you ever think of that? Jesus cried. Tears of grief, tears of sympathy, tears of compassion. Rolled down the face of the incarnate God. Do you see how full he is of mercy? Do you see how full he is of compassion and love? Oh, but he's not just full of compassion because what happened next? He came to the tomb of Lazarus. Children, it was a cave. Imagine a cave and this rock, this stone that was in front of the opening. And then what does he do? He does something shocking. He commands that the stone be taken away. And Martha protests, Lord, Lazarus, my brother's been dead four days. He, he stinks. He's, his body's beginning to decay. Jesus so gently rebukes her. Did I not tell you? Did I not tell you, he says, that if you would believe, you should see the glory of God. And then, then he gives thanks to his Father that he has heard him so that the people might believe, the people that are all around might believe, the people, us too, who are reading this account, who are coming around the tomb, as it were, in John chapter 11, so that we might believe that the Father, God the Father, has sent him. And then in verse 43, after he prays and thanks God, he utters with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And what happened, children? What happened? Lazarus, the one who had been dead for four days, came forth, all wrapped up in his grave clothes. And Jesus said, Loose him and let him go. What a miracle! What a miracle. Jesus proved his words. He really is the resurrection and the life. Yes, he is the guarantee of the blessed future of his church. But how did he become that guarantee, beloved? Well, it's, he became that guarantee. We heard about it this morning. By humbling himself 
unto death, even the death of the cross, in the place of sinners, sinners who have no life in themselves, sinners who deserve eternal death, sinners who are spiritually dead. He himself died and then rose again the third day. That's how he has become the guarantee. That's why Jesus could say to Martha, and that's why he can say to us, he that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He's the guarantee. He is the source of it all. The great question then is this. It's the question Jesus asked Martha right after declaring these great promises. Do you believe this? Do you? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that he who believes in Christ, though he were dead, yet shall he live? Do you believe that whoever lives and believes in Christ shall never die? Do you believe in Jesus Christ. That's the question. Maybe it hardly seems possible. Maybe it seems too good to be true. And you see in yourself all your weakness, all your inability, all your unbelief, all your spiritual deadness. But he is the resurrection and the life. And those belonging to Christ's church will say in true faith with Martha, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And that settles it. That settles it. Because when, like Martha, your faith is in him, however weak it is, and her faith continued to be weak at times, but however weak your own faith may be at times, if you are looking to the Savior, looking away from yourself. You are united to him as your Savior and Lord, and he is the resurrection and the life. It's not your hold of him, it's his hold of you, you see. And he is the guarantee that one day, at the last day, you will rise again, and you will never die, ever. For whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So press on, dear Christian. Dear struggling believers, press on, press on, persevere, because he is faithful who has promised. And if you're not yet a Christian this afternoon, don't remain that way. Don't be content to live a moment longer without belonging to Christ, without belonging to his church as a living member. Christ is the resurrection and the life, and he comes to you in his word, and he tells you that today, offering himself to you, offering himself, offering his life, for your death. Come to him then. And the blessed future that awaits Christ's church will be yours. And one day you will hear his voice. And you will come forth unto the resurrection of life. And with the church of Jesus Christ together, you will praise God forever. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, who has loved and given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you 
in every good word and work. Amen. Let's pray. What can we say, O oh God? But thank you. The life everlasting, the resurrection of the body. What a future we have to look forward to. Lord, help us to go forward now from this service, from into this week, and into our lives with zeal, with renewed energy to continue believing in Jesus, to continue following him, to continue obeying out of thankfulness for your great salvation. And we pray, Lord, may many more hear this wonderful gospel and be brought from death to life. In Jesus' name, amen.